0: And at this time, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 17. In just a moment, we'll be turning there uh, to focus upon a passage in, in that chapter. But I want to begin by, by telling you a story that, that actually I know I, I told once before, but I don't remember when. It's about this um, atheistic college professor who announced one day to his class that he was going to prove that God didn't exist. And he, and he did this by by issuing God a challenge. And here's the challenge. He said, God, God, if, if you are real, then knock me off of this stage. I'll give you 15 minutes. Now the whole class was stunned at how brazen the professor was. And the next few minutes were very tense because the, the, the professor continued to taunt God. 10 minutes went by, and, and the professor said, Here I am, God, I'm still waiting. And there was just a couple of minutes left in this challenge when this big, 240-pound, six-foot-six linebacker from the football team walked by the classroom and heard the professor taunting God. And that football player walked into the classroom and knocked that professor off the stage. And when the professor finally picked himself up and and got back on his feet, he, he looked at the football player and said, Why did you do that? And the football player said, Well, God was busy, so he sent me. Now, the truth is that God is never too busy. But it is also true that god sends people we've been in this series called living on purpose where we have been examining what god's purpose is for our lives and so far we we've come to understand that that the purpose of our life is ultimately to bring glory to god and we've seen that that we can do that by uh because we were intended for his image we were created for the express purpose of conforming to the image of His Son, we 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 see that we also were cre- we were um, planned for His pleasure. We were created so that we could live in such a way that it, that is pleasing to God, that makes God celebrate, makes God rejoice. And 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 just last week we saw that we were designed for His defense. We saw that we have this identity associated with us of of being a witness. And what that really means is that we have the responsibility. We were designed as disciples to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be sent. You see, last week when we talked about being a witness... We saw that Jesus' last assignment for his disciples, at least according to Luke in Acts chapter 1, that last assignment was to be a witness. And we talked about how being a witness had to do with testifying to the resurrection. But before we jump into John 17, think about the Great Commission for a moment. Think about what two of the other gospel writers had to say Was Jesus' last words to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' last words were, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And in Mark chapter 16, Jesus' last words were, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, based on those statements, Jesus not only assigned disciples the responsibility of testifying to his resurrection, but in his parting words, he also assigned disciples the responsibility of proclaiming the good news of salvation. You see, God's purpose, as one preacher said, God's purpose is not just for you to come to Christ. God's purpose is also to send you for Christ. You were made for his mission. And that's why Paul identified us as ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Now, do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank, appointed as representative in residence by one government to another, for a, a special and often temporary assignment. Now, that definition is pieced together from a couple of different dictionaries. But what does it have to do with you and I? How are we ambassadors for Christ? Well, that's going to bring us to John chapter 17. For us to understand our identification as ambassadors for Christ, we need to look at this prayer That Jesus uttered in the presence of his apostles shortly before his arrest. Now, we're only gonna look at a snippet of it right now, but really the entire prayer is worth noting. But I want you to look at John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. Let's read that for just a moment. In John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, Jesus said, in this prayer that he's praying to God in the presence of the apostles, he said, I have given them your word. I think there are three important conclusions that can be drawn from this prayer that that reveal how we are Christ's ambassadors. And the first thing I want you to notice is that we have been appointed to a particular position. You see, when we put on Christ in baptism, two things happen that you might not typically think about. Yes, when, when, when one emerges from the waters of baptism, his or her sins are forgiven. And, and he or, he or she uh, receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and he or she is added to the church. Yes, those things are true, but I'm not talking about that specifically today. When we put on Christ in baptism, two other things happen that relate to ambassadorship. First, when one becomes a disciple, they undergo a, a change of status. In particular, one's citizenship status changes. At the point that you become a new creation in Christ, you simultaneously become a new citizen of heaven. That's what Paul declared in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 when he said that that our citizenship is in heaven. What does this mean? Well, if you think back to John chapter 17, Jesus is uttering this prayer right before his arrest. If you skip one chapter ahead into John chapter 18, you'll see that he's talking to Pilate in verse 36, and he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Since we as disciples are citizens of of Christ's kingdom, that means we're not of this world either. And going back to this prayer in John chapter 17, that's exactly what Jesus said. In verse 16, he said that his disciples are not of this world. So we undergo this change of status. We become a citizen of a different kingdom. And the second thing that happens when one becomes a disciple is that they inherit a responsibility. Becoming a disciple not only results in automatic citizenship, it also results in automatic appointment. To be appointed is to be chosen for a particular job to be selected to do a particular task. When you became a new creation, you also received the great commission. We just read a moment ago from John 17 how Jesus told God that he sent his original disciples in verse 18. Well, we didn't read verse 20, but it's worth mentioning here. So going back to John 17, look at verse 20. Jesus continued his prayer saying, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, Jesus indicated that this prayer was not just for the original disciples. It was also for future disciples. That means that when you became a follower of Christ and when I became a follower of Christ, we automatically were appointed to the role of ambassador. Your choice to receive salvation was also a choice to accept the responsibility of representation because ambassadors represent the kingdom to which their citizenship belongs. See, we have been appointed to a particular position. And that great commission that we read from Matthew chapter 28 and from Mark chapter 16, that assignment applies to you and I as well. But as we journey here through John chapter 17, we not only discover that we have been a- a- appointed to a particular position, we also discover that we have been equipped for a specific assignment. Looking back at Jesus' prayer, look at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And in verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When I, when I look at what Jesus says here, I realize that, that he's indicating that he's given his disciples God's words. Now why why is that important? That's important because an ambassador cannot successfully function without information. Ambassadors need to know what their mission is, ambassadors need to know with whom they should be communicating, ambassadors they, they need to know uh, what they should be communicating. They need to know what their country's interests are as it relates to the country to which they've been sent. And Jesus implies that He has given such information to His disciples by giving them God's Word. Do you remember what Paul said about God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16 and 17? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The implication of that verse is that God's word, which is compiled in what we call the Bible, that God's word is all sufficient. That means it contains everything we need to know to operate successfully in this life. Paul specifically said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17, That God's word is all we need to be equipped for every good work. And that includes the work of an ambassador. Do you know what the, what the, the, the most common excuse I hear when it comes to evangelism is? It's the I don't know enough excuse. And that excuse really bothers me. Because it's the same excuse that Moses gave back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 when, when God is, is assigning him, appointing him to this, this uh, assignment of rescuing the Israelites. And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, uh, Moses basically said to God, what if the, I go to the Israelites and, and they say, um, or I tell them, God has sent me to rescue you, and they say, well, what's his name? And Moses is saying, I I don't know what to tell them. I don't have the answer. What Moses is really saying is, I don't know enough about you to do this. I'm not theologically advanced enough. I, I can't answer all their questions, so I'm not equipped for this. Now, do you know why that excuse bothers me? It bothers me because it is the most remediable excuse Think about it this way. Why do you not know enough? It's not God's fault that you don't know enough. Because he gave us his word, which is capable of equipping us for every good work. The reason a person doesn't know enough is because they have chosen not to know enough. They have chosen not to equip themselves. They have chosen to not be prepared. See, you may not be able to do anything about your ability to communicate. Like like Moses... You may not be able to be a a good orator. You may not be able to do anything about people's willingness to listen to you. And you may not be able to do anything about people's hard-heartedness. But you can do something about your readiness. And I want you to notice something Jesus said earlier in that prayer in John chapter 17. You have to go back to verse 8. But if you go back to verse 8 of John chapter 17, Jesus said there, I have given them the words that you gave to me. Very similar to what he said in verse 14. I have given them the words that you gave to me. But then he said something else that is just as important. The very next thing he said in John chapter 17 and verse 8 is they have received them. They have received God's words. That's, That's the key. His disciples had accepted God's word. Maybe the reason you don't know enough is because you have have not fully accepted God's word. You you believed it, don't get me wrong, but you haven't integrated it yet. We've been equipped for a specific assignment, but far too many of us are ignoring that assignment and excusing our unpreparedness. And just as God refused to accept Moses' excuse, Scripture declares that He will refuse to accept our excuses. We need to realize that not only have we been appointed to a particular position, but we have been equipped for a specific assignment as well. And finally, when we look at John chapter 17 and this prayer that Jesus says in the presence of his disciples, we need to realize that we have been stationed in an intentional location. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Now look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We've already noted that as disciples, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and as a result, we are not of the world. But interestingly, when Jesus prays for his disciples here, he specifically asks that his disciples not be taken out of this world because he has sent his disciples into this world. This is Christ's way of identifying where we have been stationed as ambassadors. Every ambassador has a country they represent. And every ambassador has another country to which they are sent. As Christians, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we are stationed on this earth. And that makes us representatives in residence, to use our previous definition representatives in residence by the kingdom of heaven to the kingdoms of men. And here's the thing our station is special. Because it's the same station to which Jesus was assigned. In John 17 and verse 18, Jesus said, As you sent me, so I have sent them. And in his first appearance to disciples following his resurrection, if you skip ahead to John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said to them, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We have been deemed so important, so valuable, so useful that we have been sent to the same station that God sent Jesus. Or maybe another way to think of that. Christ saw fit to leave us with the mission that He began. We have been stationed in an intentional location. And it's the same location to which Jesus was sent. Now, here's the thing. We can look at John chapter 17 and get an idea of what it means for us to be an ambassador. But what is it going to take for us to fulfill our role as an ambassador? Well, for us to really get this, we're going to need to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul specifically called us ambassadors for Christ. And when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first thing we're going to notice is that being an ambassador requires intensity. Now, think about it this way. The presupposition of a government's ambassador is that he or she is patriotic. See, a good ambassador is motivated by his or her devotion to his or her country and and to its interests. So so a a government's ambassador is going to do everything in their power to represent their country well. They are devoted to their country. In like fashion, the the presupposition of an ambassador of Christ is that he or she is going to be passionate. An ambassador for Christ is motivated by his or her devotion to Christ and His kingdom. So a, a Christian ambassador is going to do everything in his or her power to represent Christ well. See, when we say being an ambassador requires intensity, what we're talking about is passion, zeal, that motivation of devotion. And I want you to notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 how shortly before Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ, he identifies two reasons for our motivation. First, he indicates that we are motivated by Christ's love for us. Look at what he said beginning in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 in particular. There Paul said, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now the Greek word that's translated compels, or in some other English translations controls, It means to hold together or to confine or to secure. It can even mean to to urge or or compel. Um, It refers to the act of applying pressure on something or someone. It's not really referring to the idea of of applying pressure to uh, control as much as it is applying pressure to cause action. It is a motivational force rather than a directional force. So Paul is not using this term in a negative sense. He is using it in a positive sense. In other words, Paul is saying that the love of Christ is pressuring him, urging him, motivating him to fulfill his obligation of sharing the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And and here's the point. Here's the takeaway for you and I. When we fully realize what Christ did for us at Calvary, when we can start to wrap our mind around the love and the sacrifice that is present at Calvary, we should be so overwhelmed by His act of love that we're compelled to do everything in our power to return the favor, if I can use such language. And we return the favor by serving as his ambassador and becoming an agent through which his message of reconciliation is communicated. And so, first and foremost, an ambassadorship requires intensity. And that intensity for you and I, that passion, that zeal, is based on, our motiv- based on us being motivated by the fact that Christ loved us enough to die for us. But we also must be passionate about our role as an ambassador because we're motivated by our love for souls. See, now I want you to look at verse 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's there that Paul said, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What does it mean to not view people from a worldly point of view? I think it means viewing them as more than just a person. I think it means viewing them as a soul that will exist for eternity. I think it means viewing people as either saved or lost. You know, it's become kind of common for us to refer to people that are outside of Christ as the unchurched or unbelievers. Those terms are sanitized. Those terms are politically correct. Those terms are are not offensive. But those terms are, are not how Jesus referred to people that didn't follow him. Jesus called those who weren't following him, he called them lost. Think about it. Who did he say he came to seek and save in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10? He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus said people who are outside of him are lost. Now, I want you to go back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and notice how Paul began this section about our role as ambassadors. Look at verse 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's there that Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for all the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What Paul is saying is that we should be motivated as ambassadors by the realization that lost souls will face eternal damnation and we should be so passionate about rescuing them from that situation that we'll do everything in our power to try to save them. Reflecting on the fact that a judgment day is coming and everyone's going to have to give an answer for themselves, that should motivate us to seek and save the lost so that they don't go away from Christ for all eternity see, not only should we be motivated by the fact that Christ loved us so much to die, that he died for us, we should be motivated by the fact that we know that there is a permanent death. There is an eternal death. There is this separation from God for all eternity. We should be motivated by our desire to prevent anyone from experiencing that. But not only does being an ambassador require intensity, it also requires urgency. Look at what Paul said in verses 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We already looked at it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong section. Look I got lost in my notes. Hang on. Think about ambassadors for a moment. Ambassadors are not permanent appointments. In the United States, ambassadors are appointed to serve until the end of that session of Congress. When the subsequent session of Congress convenes, ambassadors must be confirmed again or or they're out. See, an ambassadorship is a temporary assignment. Now think about this in terms of us as ambassadors for Christ. Scripture teaches that our lives are like a mist that appears for a little while. James chapter 4 and verse 14. Scripture also teaches that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. So whether the Bible is talking about our lifespan or about Christ's return, it clearly indicates that time is limited. So we need to make the best use of it, to use the words of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. I want you to think about the lame man that Jesus healed. You can go back to Mark chapter 2 and read the story. There's a situation where this man can't walk. But Jesus is in town and his fame as a miracle worker has spread. And so four friends of this lame man come and get him. And they escort him on a mat to the house where Jesus is. But that house is packed. It's overflowing with people who want to see and hear Jesus. Surely these friends sought conventional ways to get their friend to Jesus. Maybe they tried to get in through the, the, the door of the house, but, it, but they just couldn't squeeze through. Maybe they went to a window and, and tried that route and it didn't work. That house was so packed they couldn't get inside, so they resorted to the one thing they, they, they could figure out as a method to get him to Jesus, and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered the man to Jesus. What stands out to me about those friends is that they didn't feel like they could wait for Jesus to finish teaching. Just wait outside, he'll be out there in a little bit, and then he can heal your friend. They, they didn't wait for the crowds to disperse in some fashion. They didn't wait for a more opportune time to connect with Jesus. They felt it was so urgent that they had to deconstruct the house to get him to Jesus. As ambassadors for Christ, we need to live with that same urgency. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 20 again, where Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. He goes on to say we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's a sense of urgency in the language of pleading, the language of imploring. Both those words have this sense of urgency about them. It's as though the apostle is begging, begging for immediate response. And just like Paul, we need to realize that there is an urgency to our mission. We need to look at every interaction with urgency. We need to look at every relationship we possess with urgency because we don't know when someone's life is going to come to an end and we don't know when Christ is going to return. And so we need to value the time we currently have with this sense of urgency, knowing that our mission is short lived. That time is of the essence, and that the stakes are extraordinarily high because we're talking about souls. So, being an ambassador also requires a sense of urgency. And finally, being an ambassador requires similarity. We gave a definition of an ambassador earlier in this lesson. And in it, we said that an ambassador is a representative in residence. A representative. That's the assignment, to represent the one who sent you. That means as ambassadors for Christ, our primary responsibility is to represent his interests in the place where we have been stationed. And there are two important implications of being a representative in residence. First, representation implies likeness. To be a representative of someone, you you have to be like the one you're representing. I want you to go back to John chapter 17 with me. And in John chapter 17, on multiple occasions, Jesus made comparisons between himself and his disciples. In verse 8, he says, I have given them the words that you gave to me. The comparison there is they have received the same thing that, that God gave Jesus. They are recipients of the same message, the same information. In verse 14, Jesus mentioned that the world hated the disciples. In a lengthy teaching that immediately preceded this prayer, you can go back into John chapter 15 and look at verse 18, and there you'll see that Jesus declared that the world first hated him. And he went on to say, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And and going back to John 17, you look at verse 16, he said that his disciples are not of the world just like he's not of the world. In verse 18, the disciples were sent just like he was sent. In verse 21, he prayed for his disciples to be one, just as he and the Father are one. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is offering this comparison. He's saying, I want the disciples to be like me. And I think the reason Jesus made so many comparisons is because as ambassadors, we are expected to resemble our king. Think about the instructions we have in Scripture. We're instructed to serve like Christ in John 13, verse 15. We're instructed to love like Christ in John chapter 15 and verse 12. We're instructed to forgive like Christ in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. We're instructed to have the the same mind as Christ in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And we're instructed to endure suffering like Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. We are expected to so imitate Christ that when people look at us, they see him. And Paul understood this. That's why he, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, being a Christian is not just about bearing Christ's name. It's also about bearing his likeness. And when you look at this ambassador assignment, the one thing you have to realize is that we have to look like Christ in order to represent Christ. But this concept of representation not only implies a likeness, it also implies contact. Contact between the representer and the ones to whom we're supposed to represent Christ. In other words, we're expected to interact with the world. Going back to that prayer in John 17, You remember Jesus sent us into the world. The idea of sending, which is equivalent to that command go that appears in the Great Commission, that idea of sending, that idea of going, it possesses an expectation of interaction with the world. When you look back on Jesus' life, you can see Him spending time with sinners. You can see Him being Intentional about his interactions, about his relationships. You can see him going from one town to another town. You can see him in pursuit of people. In order for you and I to be mission minded like him, in order for you and I to represent him, we have to spend time with, we have to be intentional about. We have to pursue lost people. We have to target lost people. We have to develop relationships with lost people. We will never reach the lost if we colonize ourselves and just spend time with the righteous. I think this is why, or at least part of the reason why, Jesus gave us the metaphor of salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus compared Christians to salt and light. He said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the point of calling us salt and calling us light? What do we learn from the salt and light metaphors that's applicable to to our role as ambassadors? Think about it. The one thing that salt and light have in common is that they both require proximity in order to be effective. Salt can only preserve or heal or flavor if it has contact with the other object. Light can only guide if it has contact with the other object. So in order for us to fulfill our role as salt and light on this earth, we have to be intentional about coming in contact with lost people. Are our similarity to Christ and tells us also pursuing people like Christ, and that's part of being an ambassador. You see, our whole goal in this series has been to explore what we were made for, why do we exist, what's our purpose, and today the overriding theme is that our purpose. to be ambassadors we were made for his mission we were meant to be sent so here's the ultimate question for you today are you fulfilling Christ's command to go into all the world now here's the thing many of us will quickly answer yes because we fund professionals such as missionaries who possess the responsibility to to evangelize the world now Don't get me wrong. Supporting missionaries is a worthwhile and necessary endeavor. But we need to realize two things. We need to realize that Christ expects every disciple to go. Not just the ones who are paid to do so. And we need to understand that Christ doesn't expect every disciple to relocate in the process. Think about how Jesus first sent his disciples. If you go to Acts chapter 1, when he said, You will be my witnesses, he said, In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He identified local, domestic, cross-cultural, and international targets for their evangelistic efforts. And as the story of Acts unfolds, we see different individuals going to those different targets. Peter initiated the the local campaign, the Jerusalem campaign, on the day of Pentecost. The Judean campaign was prompted by the persecution which forced the dispersion of disciples throughout the region. Philip began the work in Samaria. Paul headed up the first international campaign. The lesson to be learned from their examples is that the world into which we go does not have to be in a different community or across the ocean. The world to which we go may simply be the world outside our front door. Wherever there are souls that are lost, there are disciples needed to go. So, where will you go? See, we were made for his mission. And right outside the front door is the mission field. Are you fulfilling that mission? Are you an ambassador? If not, what needs to change in your life today so that you fulfill that role? Because we were made for His mission. Maybe as you've listened to this lesson today, you've you've realized that you're not in Christ, that you're not a disciple, that you're lost. You can be found today. If you confess your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, if you will repent of your sins, and if you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, you will be found. And you will be numbered among the disciples. And you will be appointed an ambassador. If that's a need you have today, please reach out to one of our our elders, one of our ministers, even reach out to our office email. Uh, We will get in contact with you and we will assist you. If you reflect on today's lesson and realize you're not fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given to you and you want to change, make the change today. Reach out to someone. Let us pray for you. Let us surround you with love. Let us help you. Let us all respond to and fulfill the mission that God has given to us.